Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series, Show Us Your Glory. This is a seven-part series that we are doing. If you are just joining us, we're entering now into part six of those seven parts. But not to fear, we have notes and audio recordings for all of the previous parts of this study. Those can be accessed through our website, which is new-life-ministries.org, and you can download any or all of those files that you may be needing. Uh, I would strongly recommend uh, that all of us download the notes ahead of time so you have them in front of you. We go through lots of scriptures in these studies, and it's easier if you have at least the main scriptures in front of you so you don't have to be flipping around through the Bible. But uh, often we do look at other verses outside of what's in the notes, as will certainly be the case tonight. Nevertheless, it's helpful if you already have the notes uh, in front of you, and you can jot down the additional scriptures and any other information uh, as we go along. We have been talking about, of course, the glory of God. The glory of God is really the essence of who God is. It's the radiance of all that God is. His faithfulness, His love, His grace, His truth, His power, His wisdom. Everything that God is radiates out from His very being. And that radiance is the glory of God. We saw in the Old Testament that glory actually comes from a word that means weight or heaviness. It's, it's the, the heaviness, the weight of all that God is. And the glory of God, both in the Old and New Testaments we've now seen, is often visible it's something often felt. There is a manifestation, a revelation, a demonstration. These are all words that we've been looking at in connection with the glory of God. We finished last time talking about the glorious gospel, the glorious church, and a glorious ministry, all of which <clears throat> excuse me, are a part of the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on Calvary, and ultimately through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That glorious church was born, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit came to bring a, a ministry that is far more glorious than that of Moses. And Moses' ministry was glorious, but the ministry we now have through the Holy Spirit, is of surpassing glory, we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now in part 6, which we have entitled Eternal Glory, we want to talk about the hope that we have as believers in Christ. Our ultimate hope as a believer. What is it? And... Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, If in this life only 
we have our hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We are to be pitied above all other people if, after coming to Christ, we've limited our hopes and dreams to this life. Now, don't get me wrong. God gives us hope for this life. When we come to Christ, He makes us a new creation. All things become new. Old things pass away. Our life here and now on planet Earth changes. We have peace. We have joy. Very often our relationships with other people improve. And God may even prosper us financially. Our, our whole life in this world changes as we come to Christ. Nevertheless, Paul says, if that's as far as your hope goes, you've missed the boat. If in this life only, if just for this life, we have trusted in Christ and we're hoping in Him to give us a better life for maybe 70, 80, 90 years, uh, Pastor Tom, who ministered in our church this past Sunday, his dear mother is going to be celebrating 100 years next month. That's rather rare, but some do reach the century mark. But even if we live to be 100, that's not our ultimate hope. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, I'm still praying for you. I keep on praying and praying and praying for you. They were already saved. He wasn't praying for them to get saved. They were already baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't praying about that. He was praying that they would have revelation. And the things that we're talking about tonight especially can only be understood by revelation. You won't grasp them with your natural mind. That's why in Ephesians 1, Paul said, I keep on praying that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, to know Christ better. And then he lists three things that he was praying for them, three things that he was asking God to do. Number one, to... Open the eyes of their heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? We have eyes in our head, but we also have eyes in our heart. And the heart has to see things. And he prayed that the eyes of the heart would be enlightened in order that, number one, we may know the hope of our calling. The hope to which he has called us. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. What is that hope? What is the hope that he's called us to? And, secondly, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Note those words, glorious inheritance in the saints. And then, thirdly, to know the exceeding greatness of God's power. But we want to focus primarily on those first two. What is the hope to which he has called us? And what are the riches of his glory? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? When we are born again, we become children of God. 
God our Father has an inheritance for us. It's a rich inheritance. And I would maintain, based on what we're going to see tonight, it's His glory. We're going to inherit the glory of God. And, as the title of Part 6 indicates, His glory is eternal glory. God is eternal, so it stands to reason that His glory is also eternal. It has no beginning, it has no end, and God has called us to His eternal glory. And while we're talking about hope, the ultimate hope of every believer, Paul makes it very clear in Romans 8, if you already have it, you're not hoping for it. If you already have a brand new car, you're not hoping for one. Hope is always something in the future. It's something that we do not yet fully possess. But we have some inkling inside of us. A seed has been planted inside of us that one day we will obtain it, we will possess it, we will inherit it. So the ultimate hope of every believer is not just for better things in this life, a better world. Those are all fine things to be hoping for. But the ultimate hope of every believer is beyond the grave. It's beyond this life, this existence as we now know it. It's beyond the, the material realm. It is eternal. It is spiritual. And this is what we must have a vision for. That's why Paul prayed that the eyes of their heart would be opened and enlightened, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing these things. We return to a scripture that we've read previously, but um, certainly a good place for us to start on this topic tonight. John 17 22 to 24. This was Jesus' final prayer before going to the cross. The entire chapter of John 17 is his prayer, sometimes referred to as his high priestly prayer. And in verses 22 to 24, this is what he prays. Father, I have given them, in context, it's all those who believe in him, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want, now just stop for a minute, I don't know about you, but I have absolute faith, whenever Jesus prayed to his Father and expressed his desire, I'm absolutely sure the Father is going to answer him. So this is a prayer I know God not only wants to, but is going to answer. Here it is, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me 
where I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Father, answer that prayer. Jesus wants those you have given him to be with him where he is. Well, where is he? He's in glory. He's at the right hand of majesty on high. To be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, the word eternity is not mentioned here, but if you go back to verse 3 in the same chapter, John 17, there Jesus prays, Father, that they would know me, the only true God, the only one that you have sent, the true Son of God, knowing Jesus is eternal life. This is eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? If it's knowing Jesus, it's to be with him and now to see his glory. Obviously, that glory is eternal. It's from before the creation of the world, he says, that the Father loved him and gave him that glory. So this is eternal glory. Jesus' prayer is that we would be with him for all the rest of eternity and to behold his glory, the glory given to him by his Father. What a hope. This world has certain glories. They're passing. They're temporal. They're here today, and they can go up in a puff of smoke tomorrow. But this is different. This is eternal glory that came from the Father. Jesus wants you and me to be with him there in glory, seeing and enjoying that glory forever and ever and ever. This is the hope that we have as believers in Christ. And if we're hoping for anything less, Paul says, we're of all men most miserable. Because we've missed this great high calling, the hope to which he has called us. In Romans 5, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, when we are justified, this is Paul's great message in the book of Romans, justification by faith. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God, but now we have been justified freely through Christ, through his sacrifice, and through faith in him. We've been justified through faith. We now have peace. We've now 
gained access into God's grace, and we are standing in that grace. But there's one more thing he notes that we are doing now. Justified by faith, peace with God, standing in his grace. We are rejoicing. What is it that we're rejoicing about? The hope that we have. What is the hope we have? It's the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, if your joy is centered on anything less than that, if it's centered on the stock market or how popular you are or even how well you're doing in your spiritual life or in your ministry, you'll be on a roller coaster ride. One day you'll have a lot of joy, and then maybe the next day not so much joy. And you go up and down, up and down, up and down. But if your joy is centered in the hope that one day I will be with him, I will be like him, and I will see his glory forever and ever, then that roller coaster ride begins to level out. And it's a steady rejoicing because the glory of God doesn't change. That hope doesn't change. Oh, we may go through trials and tribulations and tough times in this life, but that makes the hope all the more sweet because it's on the other side. It's not affected by the trials and tribulations and things that we go through in our day-to-day lives. Now, the next portion of scripture nails it right down. Here the Apostle Peter clearly defines this as eternal glory to which we have been called. First Peter chapter 5, we're just going to pick out a few verses, verse 1, verse 4, and verse 10. I would invite you to read the whole passage on your own, but for time, We'll just pick those verses out. Rome, I'm sorry, First Peter 5, verse 1. He writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. This is a future glory he's talking about. We will share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. Hmm, he's talking a lot about glory here. Share in the glory, receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That hints at what we've been talking about. This is not going to fade away like the things of this earth and this life. This is eternal. But verse 10 clears up any doubts. And the God of all grace, who called you, write your name in there, Jim, John, Mary, called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, so we mentioned, It won't be a cakewalk in this life. We'll have trials and tribulations here, but we're called 
to eternal glory. Let me read that again. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory. Remember, Paul's prayer. God opened the eyes of their understanding, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the hope of your calling. Well, here it is. Called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know, starting with the apostles in the first church and down through the century since then, the true saints of God have always faced persecutions, trials, sufferings, very difficult times. And what has kept them through those dark nights of trial and suffering is hope. Hope of eternal glory. Hope of spending eternity with Christ. Things may be really tough right now, but I have a hope. In Romans 2, verses 6 to 10, Paul also talks about this hope of glory. Romans 2, verses 6 to 10. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Notice in those lists what always comes first as the expectation of those who live righteously, those who do good things. As he says, those who by persistence in doing good. What are they seeking? First, glory, then honor, then immortality. Glory, honor, immortality. This is what we are seeking for even now in our present life and existence, as we're seeking God, as we're applying the scriptures to our lives, we're trying to live godly in this present fallen, corrupt world, we're persisting in that path because we're seeking something. We're seeking glory, honor, and immortality. Backing up to a scripture that I skipped in our outline, it's a key one. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, Paul says the following, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles 
the glorious riches of this mystery, or as we saw last time, the riches of his glory, can be translated either way. What are the glorious riches of this mystery? Well, it's very simple. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you and I have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, it should be producing within us this hope of glory. It should come very naturally, even though it's really supernaturally. It should come naturally because Christ is living in us. If Christ is living in us, he is the hope of glory. It's that hope of being with him and seeing his glory that has now come to dwell in our hearts by faith. So Christ in us does indeed give rise to this hope for eternal glory. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures. Jude, verses 24 and 25 says to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence. The New King James says the presence of his glory. Either one is correct. To present you before his glorious presence and the presence of his glory without fault and with great joy, that presenting will take place at the rapture. That's when we will be presented to him. We saw in Ephesians chapter 5, where Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her present her to himself a glorious church. So this presentation, this presenting of the bride to the groom, or as Jude here says, present you before his glorious presence. Ephesians said, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Here it goes a step further, without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. That is our hope. The glorious presentation where the bride is presented to the groom. The bride is presented before God's glorious presence. And there she will dwell for all eternity, beholding his glory. Romans 9, verses 22 to 24. <clears throat> what if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. What if he did this 
to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now, this is some pretty heavy theology here, and we're not going to go too deep into it, but uh, suffice it to say, God is sovereign, God has predestined many things, he has chosen things before the foundation of the world, we can't fully understand all of this now, but Paul makes it very clear that God has already prepared objects of wrath. He's, he's actually prepared them for that. Paul says, what if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? But thank God, there are also objects of mercy whom he has prepared in advance. That's you and me. He says, what if God did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory? I think we all understand, at least in part, that we're not saved merely because we decided we wanted to be saved. We're saved because God willed it to be so. He willed that we should be born again and become his children. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And if you have found God's mercy... If you know that you know that you know tonight, you've been born again, Christ is in your life, you have been changed, your sins have been forgiven, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. You have a whole lot to be thankful for, a whole lot to be praising God for. Because that's a clear indication that you're one of these objects. You're an object of his mercy, chosen ahead of time, so that he can make known to you, the riches of his glory. He called you for that. What did he prepare you for? He prepared you in advance for glory. Plain and simple. I love those words. He prepared in advance for glory. You and I have been prepared in advance for eternal glory. That is the hope of our calling. That is what he called you for. Nothing less. Now, as I hinted a bit earlier, in this life, we're going to have trials. We're going to have sufferings. It's not going to be all glory now. This is the hope of glory. We're hoping for something we do not yet fully possess. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have indications from scriptures like the one we just read that the sovereign God has chosen us in Christ. He's preparing us to behold and to inherit 
eternal glory, but we're not there yet. Right now, we're still in the hoping phase. And in 2 Corinthians 4, very important portion of Scripture. We've already read in this study, but we come back to it once again. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, now you have to read the whole chapter to understand what the therefore is there, therefore. <laughs> but he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though we're going through difficulties, trials, challenges. We don't lose heart, even though our outward man, the physical frame, is perishing, Yet the inward man, the spiritual part of us, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Note the words in bold, if you're following along in the outline, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul is definitely incorporating the original meaning of glory from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word kabod, the weight, the heaviness of God's glory. What is he really saying here? Right now, we may face affliction. Right now, we will go through persecution. We must go through much tribulation, the Bible says. God never promised anywhere in the New Testament, come to Christ and everything will be smooth. He never said that. And any preacher or any gospel that preaches that is a false gospel. The true gospel is, come to Christ, your sins will be forgiven, he'll give you a hope, that's eternal. He'll give you life that's eternal. But you might have some difficulties in this life. Paul says, it's really light. It's light affliction. And if you look at the list of the things Paul went through, he lists them in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Beaten, shipwrecked, starving, naked. He went through all kinds of stuff. But interestingly, he uses the word light here as opposed to the weight of glory. The affliction is light. The glory is very heavy. These light afflictions, they're just for a moment in comparison with the glory. Because the glory is eternal it's very weighty. It's very heavy. 
a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So, what I learn from this passage and the next one that we'll be looking at is we have to train ourselves to compare our trials, sufferings, and difficulties in this, in this life with what is yet to come in the next life. And as you do that, you begin to put things into perspective. This short life, 70, 80, maybe even 100 years, what a short life compared to eternity. Maybe a few imprisonments, maybe a few rejections, maybe a few sufferings, they're light in comparison with eternity in the glory of God, eternity with Jesus, beholding his glory. So, right now, the outward man is perishing. Inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man, the physical frame, is aging, it's getting weaker, it's decaying, it's wasting. But the inward man, the spiritual man, doesn't grow old, doesn't get weak, not subject to sickness or infirmity. He is being renewed day by day. Therefore, our light affliction in this world is just for a moment. And it's working something. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And here's the key, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Now that's, that's a challenge. Because we naturally look at the things around us. We naturally pay more attention to the physical, the material, the things we can see, taste, touch, etc., but he says, we don't look at those things. Why? Because if it can be seen with the physical eye, it's temporary. So we don't focus on those things. But we look at the things which are not seen. Well, how can you see things that are not seen? Exactly what we talked about at the beginning tonight. The eyes of the heart have to be opened. We need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need the Holy Spirit to show us, reveal the things of Christ to us. They're invisible. Yes, we have to see invisible things. And we have to start to focus and actually fix our eyes on those things which are invisible. Why? He says... For things which are seen are temporary. Things which are not seen are eternal. Oh God, help us to see the unseen. Help us to see these eternal things. Help us to get our focus off of the physical, off of the worldly, the carnal, the natural, the temporary. Help us to get our focus on the invisible things of God. Help us to set our affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. Help us to see these things, 
that Paul was seeing and writing about. It's what held him and kept him through his imprisonments, through his persecutions, and all the things that he went through. He had a hope of a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. Eternal glory. Similar passage is found in Romans 8, verses 16 to 21 we'll read. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs, of course, connects with inheritance. Remember the second thing Paul was praying for? We would know the riches of this glorious inheritance. If we're a child of God, then there's an inheritance for us. Our Father, he's very rich. He has riches of glory, and he's left an inheritance for every one of his children. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. Uh Uh-oh. That doesn't sound very inviting. Share in his sufferings. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that in order that, I repeat, in order that we may also share in his glory. Hmm. Putting these two passages together, it seems inevitable that there's going to be some affliction and some suffering in this life in order that we may share in this glorious inheritance share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what he did in 2 Corinthians, essentially. It's not even worth comparing. The afflictions, they're light and they're for a moment compared to the glory, which is forever and ever, and it's an exceeding and eternal weight of glory, very heavy glory. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Notice those words, in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So, maybe a little bit of suffering now, 
but an incomparable weight of eternal glory that will be revealed in us. And right now, Paul agrees. The whole creation is groaning. The whole creation right now has been put in a state of expectation. The creation is waiting. It's expecting something. It's actually waiting for you and me. It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. For the whole creation was subjected to frustration or vanity. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. This was all done so that there would be a hope. That one day there will be a glorious liberation when the sons of God are revealed. The creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. One more passage, and I think this is where we're going to have to stop for this evening because we want to shift gears next time and look at something connected but, but different. We'll introduce it tonight but not go very deep. But in First Peter, again, a lot about glory in Peter's epistle. First Peter 1, let's look at verses 7 to 11. These, in context, he's talking about trials, the trials of your faith. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Interesting. Notice that. Sufferings and glories that would follow. It always seems to be in that order. First, sufferings. And then glories follow. He talks about the goal of your faith. That's really what we've been looking at tonight. What is the ultimate goal of being a Christian? Is it just to make a lot of money and be a rich Christian? Is it to have a worldwide ministry, radio, TV, mega church of 
50,000 believers. That would be great. But if that's our ultimate goal, we've still missed the boat. We're of all men most miserable. Because Paul and Peter both write about this, the ultimate goal of our faith, the ultimate goal of the believer is eternal. has nothing to do with this life, mega churches, ministries, wealth, family, anything in this world. It's not about that. Ultimately, the goal is eternal glory. Maybe a few sufferings along the way, but glories will follow. Sufferings now share in his glory later. Light affliction now, just for a moment, compared to a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is something we have to really pray over. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesian church, he says, I keep on asking God to do this. It was a continual prayer. God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ so that they may know the hope of their calling the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. What is your hope? What is my hope? And sometimes I think it's good to even write these things down. Make a list of what you're hoping for. And you may find that a lot of them are hopes and dreams for this life. Nothing wrong with that. Please don't get me wrong here. We're supposed to have hopes. We're supposed to have dreams. We're always looking for a better day. We're always looking for something higher and more excellent. But if everything in your list is only centered on this life, if it all passes when you pass from this life, then maybe you need to adjust your list. Because at the top of the list should be my chief aim, my chief goal, is to be with Jesus where he is and to see his glory because I am called to his eternal glory. Therefore, Anything that falls short of that, I'm still missing the mark. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They've missed the mark. We want to make sure now, as Christians, that we're not going to miss the mark. Glory is the mark. Now, we're seeking for glory. In eternity, we're seeking for glory. And all that we do now in this life should be pointing ultimately to that great goal, that great hope, to inherit, to receive, to see, and to dwell in God's eternal glory. Father, I want them to be with me where I am, to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. May God fill us with that hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you find yourself going through a tough patch, some thorny patches in the road, some rocky places, some ups and downs, some light afflictions, some rejections, some sufferings, some things that you don't fully understand, join with Paul and make a comparison. These present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever I'm going through now is light. It's light affliction. It's just for a moment. This will blink our eyes and this will all be over. And then what awaits us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. When you read through the book of Job, um, you can't even comprehend the sufferings that Job went through. And some of the things we see in the news of parents that have lost their sons, lost their daughters in terrorist attacks. These policemen that were ambushed and gunned down last week. Uh, we can't even comprehend the pain, the sorrow, the grief that these families and people go through. But understand, even when Job went through far worse, and at one point he just wished that he'd never been born, at the same time he was able to say, I know something. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know when this is all over and the worms are starting to chew on my flesh in the grave, I know that I'm going to see him. With my own eyes, I am going to see him because I know my Redeemer lives. We have to have that kind of assurance that this life isn't the end of everything. It's really the beginning. It's the stepping stone into eternity. And may God help us, like Paul in 2 Corinthians, may God help us to have our focus right while we look not at things that are seen, but at things which are not seen. Things which are seen are temporary, Things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray that God would give us such eyesight. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on those things which are eternal. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we may not even understand all that we're reading or talking about tonight, but something in our spirit rises up and says, yes, I want your eternal glory. I want to see eternal things. Open my eyes, Lord.
Open the eyes of my heart. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. I want to know Jesus better. For eternal life is knowing you and your Son, Christ Jesus, whom you have sent. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to shift our focus from the temporal, from the temporary, to the eternal. Help us to see those things, the invisible things of God, that you've prepared for those who love you. Oh God, with the help of your Holy Spirit, give us revelation. Reveal to us those things that you prepared for objects of mercy, whom you have prepared in advance for glory, eternal glory. You've called us to eternal glory. God, I pray there would be a deepening of this revelation, this spiritual understanding in our lives, and that even when we're going through trials, tribulations, sufferings, challenges, we would remember the hope of our calling. God bless each and every one tonight. Keep us. Keep us strong. Keep us full of hope and faith. Keep our eyes fixed on you as we wait for your soon and glorious appearing. Oh God, we thank you that you have chosen us for salvation. You've chosen us for the riches of your glory. And Lord, that prayer that Jesus prayed, we say amen to it. Lord, bring us to the place where your Son is, that we can be with him through all eternity, beholding his glory. Keep us until that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.